2: on today's podcast, a rare opportunity to hear an extended interview with Toto Wolf. On the podcast today, Toto Wolf talks to James Allen and Jonathan Noble about the future of Formula One, cost caps, and more. In a fascinating discussion for our hashtag Thinking Forward series. Here is Toto with James and Jonathan. Well, Toto, thanks very much for joining us on this hashtag Thinking Forward. Um, if we look at all that's happened, this year, uh, the Concord Agreement, budget cap, successful racing restart program after the lockdown. Do you think that Formula One is in better shape now that it's learned some important lessons from this crisis? And, and will that help shape its future?
1: Well, obviously, this was a difficult year from a sport point of view, but more importantly, from a personal standpoint, I think none of, none of us is going to uh, go out of 2020 on New Year's Eve and say that it was all great. But I think as with team's mentality, you learn the most out of the painful situations. And in that respect, I would agree with you, the sport will come out stronger of this. We have been able to put the calendar together. And this is thanks to the FIA, FOM and the teams collaborating in a positive way. And we've reduced the costs altogether. And I think we are one of the very few sports in the world that has been able to do so. And I believe that this is going to strengthen us going forward.
2: From a strategic point of view, uh, a successful future for Formula One is obviously where the teams, FIA and Formula One are all aligned on, on what they want the sport to be. And the fans find that product and the personalities engaging. Uh, so five years ago, I think none of us would really have said that we were on that path necessarily. But is that now the path that we're on?
1: I think we are on a very good trajectory. Against all odds, we're still growing in, let's say, regular TV, uh, free-to-air pay. And we've been very successful with the Netflix Corporation, where we have tapped new audiences. Social media is going very strong, the strongest growing spot uh, globally, obviously from lower levels than some of our American counterparts. The strongest growing audience is the 15 to 36-year-old And we can see that and feel that every single day with our young followership growing. And um, I would say that in that respect, we are in a a much better position than five years ago. The decision-making is not short-terministic anymore and erratic like we've had that in the past, but we are making decisions on a mid- to long-term time scale, which avoids the polemic around this, who has an advantage tomorrow or today. And I think... Overall, much better place.
3: Okay, so one of the big changes that's going to change the face of Formula One coming is the cost cap. We've seen some short-term impacts already. The the alliance between Ferrari and Haas is changing. But how do you think it's going to change the, the shape and the way big F1 teams go racing over the next five years?
1: What do you mean with, with Ferrari and Haas relationship changing?
3: Uh, Resta being moved there and moved, staff moved across and alliances with drivers of Schumacher and
1: you're seeing these partnerships. I think, yeah, I think um, Simone Resta has been deployed to partner teams in the past like um, Sauber Alfa Romeo and he's probably one of the very strong engineers in the business and in that respect that is clearly a huge gain for for us, as it was with Sauber in the past. So Overall, the, the relationships that the teams have with each other, uh, be it uh, partnerships like the one you mentioned or corporations like like we have with McLaren, where where we are power unit supplier, I think this is important for the for the economies of scale. I think these teams uh, benefit from the huge R and D costs that have been invested over the years from the from the OEMs. On the other side, we are able to refinance some of our operating costs. And um, it's a win-win situation in a way. And I think this is the way forward. Obviously, we need to consider um, OEMs or teams that haven't got these kind of relationships today um, and not end up in a situation that there is a huge discre- discrepancy. So we need to align on the long-term views. Today, probably, probably 80% of the teams have such partnerships. So I would hope that in the future... Everybody has that and benefits from from the reasons I stated before.
3: Talking about the role of manufacturers, we've seen some movement in major championships this year. Honda's decided that Formula One no longer suits it. In Formula E, we've seen BMW and Audi um, withdraw in recent days. Do you see this as part of the, the natural ebb and flow of manufacturers in racing championships? Or do you, do you sense there is a, a much bigger... Um, kind of reevaluation of what where motor racing fits with the automotive sector.
1: I think there's a few reasons behind coming and going, and the most important one is the return on investment. If you're not able to generate returns, be it on the branding or marketing side, or on technology transfer, or simple by financial terms rather shorter than, than rather earlier than later people in the board are going to say well why are we doing this and this is absolutely absolutely clear you, you, you need to get out something you need to get something out of it and if your returns are not good enough for the industry standard or compared to the other activities you deploy one day you're going to pull the plug to these activities and put on top of that, that if it's not successful and not even the branding side benefits from it are not successful enough. If I were on the board, I would also consider doing that. But the very difference between how we are looking at things in motor racing is that we are considering the sport as our DNA. We are building road cars and we are building racing cars. And the first car was from Mercedes was actually a racing car. We are not um, changing our mind every year based on success or failure. We've gone through various periods of pain as Mercedes in Formula One, as an engine supplier, but also as a team. When you look back at the years from 2010 until, call it 13, three full seasons, we we weren't competitive. And only in 13, the odds changed a little bit before being successful in 2014. And there's one thing all the capital and all the resource can't buy in Formula One, and that is time. You need to have the patience, you need to have the long-term view to reap the benefit in the future. And if you have movement and on board level, people come and go, or people swing with what the markets want. And if the if the if the stock markets want the electrical story or another thing, whatever this may be, then Corporate swing that way and I totally accept that if I was in their situation I would consider that but Daimler has never been that way and this is why we're in Formula 1 today and um, harvesting on the success that that we've had. We could have been out of the spot in 2013 if we if we wouldn't have been able to cope with the painful years.
2: Looking at Formula E, Toto, specifically, we, we've had obviously plenty of manufacturers taking part in the last seasons but The current benchmark electric vehicle company, arguably uh, Tesla, doesn't compete. Does that affect the thinking uh, on the need to be part of an electric series? And is that maybe part of the the thought process of of some of the people that we are withdrawing, do you think?
1: Why are OEMs or auto companies competing in motor racing or investing in marketing platforms or branding? Because they simply want to add brand equity, brand equity value to, to, the, to their companies, they want to be perceived in a, in a certain way. Buying a car is an emotional, it's an emotional task, often being explained by a rational, uh, rational thinking. I'm buying this car because it's um, carbon free, but actually I'm buying this car because I want to let the world know how I see myself. Rather than who I really am. So it's all a marketing exercise. And Tesla does that. Elon Musk is the chief marketing, marketeer, and chief cheerleader of his company. He stands for edge, for innovation, for entrepreneurism. For, and he's a, he's a rock star, you can say. And they have been a pioneer in electric mobility. They don't need marketing platforms platform because Tesla and his and their owner and CEO stands for their marketing companies that have a large much longer history um, in, uh, in, in, in the automobile automobile sector they have always played on marketing platforms to kind of load the emotional factor to their branding and in that respect these platforms have relevance Mercedes has certainly benefited in the last few years from um, our success in Formula One. We are sporty. We have a sporty image today. We are seen as dynamic. It's all around teamship and the mindset behind it. And that on a global platform, you add to this the most important factor, good cars. Then all works intertwined and the brand benefits, um, marketing benefits and car sales and their margins will benefit from these activities. So it all comes down to your decision, what is the emotional, what are the the marketing platforms that I would like to utilize and how can I load the emotional factor in a decision to buy a car?
2: Makes sense. Formula One's strategy, meanwhile, obviously is to double down on internal combustion engines, uh, combustion engine cars that that are going to remain on the roads long after... Uh, the new vehicle sales have been banned in many developed countries by by their governments. How does that look for, for manufacturers? And will you still be producing any internal combustion engine vehicles 10, 15 plus years from now?
1: James, I think that what we've seen in the past few years is that you cannot predict where the industry is going to stand in 2030. The data today and even the most um, dynamic ones show that rather than having 30% electric vehicles by 2025, we're going to have 30% electric vehicles by 2030. We're seeing a big push in biofuels and synthetic fuels, which would reduce the emissions on petrol cars tremendously if the energy comes from sustainable sources. So I believe we can't really judge today where the road car industry is going to stand in 2030, and there are premium auto manufacturers such as Daimler, who are still investing into internal combustion engine, because the, in combination with these sustainable fuels, it is a much better carbon footprint that, than some of the electric vehicles today, where the energy resources is provided by coal or gas. In that respect, I believe that in Formula One, it is about technology transfer. We should be leading the pack with sustainable fuels and and biofuels in collaboration with our fuel suppliers, in collaboration with our mothership companies, and at the same time being open to uh, technology transfer in in the electrical field. But we need to have a holistic view. We need to look at um, energy density for applications in the road car field, and we need to look at power density for the entertainment factor in Formula One,
3: Toto. According to a recent audience survey we ran on Motorsport Network, um, fans were very supportive of a budget cap in Formula One for teams, but were were a bit divided in terms of a driver salary cap. That's something that's being evaluated. Do you think it's something that can that can really work and is right for Formula One?
1: That, of course, is a very um, polarizing topic, and I, I, I understand that it's that it's a controversial topic. I think. We need to do everything to make Formula One sustainable and we need to stop the teams with more resource competing in different fields, fields than the ones that are currently cost capped. So if you say there is a cost cap on the chassis, I think we need to have a cost cap on the power unit side in a, in a certain way or a freeze on the power unit side. And if, if that is capped, the money is gonna be deployed in other areas. People, people are going to compete in the market for managers and their salaries are going to reach astronomical heights for the best people and in the same way on the, on the driver's side. And I believe that Formula One drivers are the best in the world. They should be paid like most of the sports superstars in the world, but we should look at the American Sports League and you can say that the NFL and the NBA have made their leagues and their teams sustainable by reaching break-even or profitability targets, and we as Formula One are always are only going to be sustainable and generate an interest for team owners coming in, for these franchises to be profitable, if we achieve a general consensus on costs. And in that relationship, we need to look at um, driver, driver costs in the same way that it was dealt in the, in, in the US.
3: Finally, Toto, you've achieved so much as part of the Mercedes team over the last seven years. Where do you see yourself in seven years' time?
1: Again, also there, it's difficult to make predictions, but I love the sport. I love auto racing. I love the platform. And I see great potential for Formula One going forward. We have an additional um, leadership component with Stefano coming in. Chase not going away, still being there. And in that respect, I believe that all of us together, all stakeholders can really steer the sport to a bright future. We are seeing the success that we've had in the last one or two years with the various steps that we've made. And I believe that in seven years, the sport could be in a fantastic position. And that means that the teams are going to be sustainable uh, financially, technology-wise, and going to provide great entertainment. So this is the place I want to stay. I'm um, proud to be a co-owner with Mercedes of this this team, but my role in the future may change. It is being team principal now in my eighth year, and I want to do this for a while, but maybe I will transition in some kind of other executive function in the next few years. But I haven't made the decision yet. It is about identifying the organizational structure of the future developing the individuals and then only then i will be able to change my role
2: and so thank you so much for for taking the time to talk to us today and a a very happy christmas and seasons greetings to you and your family
1: and uh, all the very best thank you very much happy holiday season
3: is 6am by Trilo written by Marcus Simmons see soundcloud.com slash music
0: this is it this is the year enough dreaming about growing my business online it's time to get serious about selling in my style as big as I want to grow because there's nothing I can't do it's time to get Shopify and take my business to the next level
1: whoa someone's ready to take on the new year oh oh I thought I was talking
0: to myself there but heck yeah 2023 is my year that's not your average resolution that's a revolution it's It's a a new New year's Year's revolution. revolution Social Podcast network. Hi, this is Will L. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to neighbor, it takes a neighborhood.